This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, well, here we go. Uh, we're into the home stretch, and this is a story that's had me befuddled since I read it in the paper, I guess, two days ago. And I thought there are a lot of legal implications in play here, so who better to help deconstruct the story uh, jo- than Joe Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert from Newberger and Partners? Joe, how you doing? I'm great, John. How are you? Pretty good, and a happy new year and all happy the rest. Happy new year. All the best. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm looking. It's 2019. This is a story that goes back to 2009, May of yeah. 2009. Woman in Montreal, uh, I guess a student at the time, taking an escalator down in the subway, and uh, she's not holding the handrail. She's got a backpack on. Uh, and so uh, a cop who's sort of astride of her on the stairs saying, you know, uh, you should hang on to the handrail. Uh, there's a pictogram that tells people they've got to do that. And so she didn't at the bottom. Another cop uh, had stopped her and uh, cited her for the violation, I guess, a $100 ticket for not holding onto the handrail. One thing led to another. This thing has been adjudicated up the food chain. It's going to the Supreme Court. Does this make sense to you? It sounds really silly, especially when you read it, but there's actually an important principle at play. Mm-hmm. And that principle is about whether you can take action against police when they commit acts which are not authorized or verified by any type of bylaw or legitimate law. And that's really the issue here. And it was the dissent in the Court of Appeal decision that I think has spurned the Supreme Court to want to listen to this appeal. And I think it's really quite important. All right. And so when you cite that there's nothing governed by a municipal bylaw because the pictogram on the escalator saying you've got to hold on to the handrail is merely a suggestion from the manufacturer. Correct. That's exactly right. There was no official law in place. And frankly, it's just a suggestion. It's a safety suggestion. And so that the police would arbitrarily stop her and engage in that type of behavior, whether she was belligerent or not, whether she wanted to give her name or not, is something that we have as a right to do in Canada. And we've seen that now in Ontario with the carding issues that you don't have to surrender your name at all. So I think it's an interesting issue that should go to the Supreme Court of Canada. The the whole thing is over, you know, not a lot of money, but I think there's an important principle at play as to, you know, what civil sanctions are available for uh, regular citizens against police. Right. Well, then how did the two previous levels of court get it so wrong if this seems so cut and dried? Uh, I know, but that depends a lot on, in my opinion, who you have sitting and how protective they are of their police. And so you're in a different jurisdiction. In Ontario, they might be more activist. In Quebec, it seems that they're far more conservative and took a very aggressive position against this woman. And the Supreme Court of Canada obviously would have had to read the, the factum for the leave to appeal to them and saw something of significant interest. So I think those two levels of court just got it wrong. In other words, what you're telling me is uh, the bench at various levels is uh, people by activist judges. Sometimes, uh, and but sometimes you will get, you know, certain panels uh, in your a court of appeal or on your uh, on the first right of appeal, which are highly conservative, protective of police authorities, and do not uh, enforce charter rights. And that's the other issue which is at play. So I'm, the opposite for me is the Supreme Court's not activist. They want to enforce charter principles. You know, I'm also curious about the, the test of the reasonable man or the reasonable person in all of this. Like, what would a reasonable person have been expected to do? Well, in these circumstances, I think all that should have happened was the police should have ignored her and not done anything. I mean, there's no reason that I can see from the material that I've read to engage her. Nothing. She's just riding an escalator, going to a class, and there's no reason to interfere with her. She wasn't committing a crime, so she's not holding a handrail. It's ridiculous. So they should have just said, hi, how are you? Have a nice day. I mean, there should have been absolutely no intervention 
uh, that certainly from what I can tell what I'm reading that deserved any type of conversation, much less arresting her and cuffing her. Right. And uh, asking her to produce ID, which she refused to do, and therefore they arrested her. Uh, They searched her bag uh, while she was cuffed. All of this is a breach of uh, her rights, is what you're saying. Yeah, of our rights. You know, it's, it's of all our rights as a citizen in this country. We should be free from unreasonable search and seizure, free from arbitrary detention, and we don't have an obligation to surrender identification. I mean, this is not a military police state, and so this is where we talk about charter principles, and I think it's, it's a silly situation with a tremendous amount of cost, but it's an important principle, in my opinion. No, and I appreciate that. Joe Newberger is with us. He's the uh, Global News Radio legal expert from Newberger and Partners. You know, when you talk about costs, this is the other thing, a bugaboo that uh, just in general, uh, I guess, seems to uh, represent uh, an unlevel playing field in the legal system. Uh, and that has to do with awarding costs. Now, if somebody is a defendant and has to defend against this, in this case, it would be the city of Montreal or Laval and uh, the police, because she's right. suing, I guess, civilly for 69000 she's asking for. Right. Which I'm actually surprised. I would have thought it'd be a whole lot more. She's claiming PTSD now, and she can't. Uh, she's moved out of Quebec. She's afraid to take escalators and everything like that. Right. I mean, uh, she could have asked for way more, couldn't she? Yeah, I mean, you know, 10 years ago, I'm not sure what the range of damages would be, but we've seen an increase in damages for certain behaviors that caused uh, harm, psychological and physical harm to others. And so, you know, 69000 seems pretty paltry compared to what you could ask nowadays. But what, what, what I think what you're getting at is what are the legal costs going to be? Because going before the Supreme Court, and if she succeeds in the Supreme Court, the city of Laval and and whoever else is a party to the litigation are going to have to pay fairly significant costs. Right. Uh, for her, there would be no costs incurred, would there? I mean, I guess... Well, it, it depends. It, it could be uh, costs on a full indemnity basis, which is, is rather rare. And if she does bear some responsibility for the interaction, in other words, if she if it's established and, it, and the court is convinced that she was somewhat belligerent, and aggressive, it may not be a full indemnity. It could be 50-50. So she may wind up paying out far more than, you know, frankly, to her own lawyers that she, than what she actually receives in damages. And then the other issue is 50% would be payable uh, by Laval for the legal fee. So it, 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 there's a, a full range of what it could actually amount to. Yeah, but what if she's got no money and uh, she can't pay, and that's been determined, I guess, uh, for the courts? You know, I'm I'm, I'm wondering about lawfare. This uh, idea that there are some complainants, you know, who don't really have any downside to proceeding with a case, and some lawyers will take it on a contingency basis. Uh, how is that fair to a defendant who stands to lose a lot, including you know legal costs, whereas the other party does not? Well, there's a lot of protections in place. So if somebody's impecunious, they don't they don't have money and they can't pay da- they can't pay legal costs. I mean, they're going to wind up going into bankruptcy. Uh, and in certain instances, a, a defendant can apply to the court uh, if it's a particular action which may be regarded as frivolous. They could actually apply to have her post security for costs. So there are mechanisms in place if you have somebody who's just taking a you know a hail mary and you think they don't have assets and you're going to be on the hook for serious legal fees then, you know, quite, quite in, in reality, you can take quite a few steps to try and secure, try and secure the uh, uh, costs out of them ahead of time by seeking for security for costs. Yeah, but what if they don't have anything and uh, it's determined they don't? Uh, where does that leave them legally? Well, if, if, if let's take hypothetically a case where uh, the defendant 
pursues for uh, security for costs, and the it's discovered that they don't have any assets, and then the court determines that there is some frivolous nature to this, then you strike the action. So that would be the protection for the defendant. I see. Uh, well, this is where I'm wondering if, you know, there are certain individuals, like you see this sometimes with human rights rulings. Uh, a person will take the case before the Human Rights Commission. The defendant's got to go into yes. uh, all kinds of great expense to defend, and the other person stake nothing. That's an excellent point. Those And, and those tribunals are set up in order to give, uh, you know, access essentially without lots of legal costs to those people who have allegedly human rights violations. And there are tremendous costs to defendants in those instances, which they will not recover. That's a very good point. Well, and, you know, the other thing I'm wondering about is if lawyers are increasingly working on a contingency fee basis, uh, they may just want to take the case up on their own volition, use the client as, uh, let's say, the springboard, and uh, they see a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Does that work? Well, you know, you you see that in personal injury cases and in employment law, but you don't see it across the board for civil litigation because it's just expensive and lawyers can't finance it. And the reality is if you're not looking at significant damages in a case, any law firm that would engage in that type of behavior will be in bankruptcy very soon. All right. Uh, A few more questions, Joe, while I've got you here. Uh, I'm kind of curious because uh, we had this story from uh, the OSPCA and uh, a judge striking down the enforcement powers as being unconstitutional. Uh, What are the legal ramifications of this ruling? Are there other sort of authoritarian bodies uh, out there like the uh, Human Rights Commission I just cited or maybe the Children's Aid Society that might need to be reined in with their authoritarian powers? It's not directly comparable to those two because the what I've read from uh, this particular ruling is these officers were imbued with peace officer powers even though they were not subjected to any type of transparency or oversight that's public in nature. So they were not subjected to the Police Services Act as you may have like uh, officers who are you know enforcing parking tickets and provincial offenses or bylaw enforcement officers. So. It's very significant in that regard because this was an organization that had significant powers to enter residents and and cite people and have them charged, but they had no transparency and no oversight whatsoever. So it's quite uh, it's actually I'm kind of surprised this went by for so long without anybody recognizing this. Other bodies, though, do have transparency and are regulated by public agencies, and so they are accountable to the public, including the CAS. They are. We may not love everything they do, but there there is. There is oversight. There is a whole organization. There is a, a tribunal, which name has escaped me right now, where there can be appeals to, there can be internal investigations, and they still have regulations that they have to uh, follow. The problem is they have significant power, and in some instances their actions are not appropriate, but in some instances they, they are. I don't really want to get into the discussion of how good or bad CAS may be, but the issue really is regulation, and there is regulation and oversight, although it may not be sufficient in in certain people's opinions. Something else that uh, was a curiosity to me, you know, we've had a spate of all kinds of shootings already in 2019 here in the GTA, and it just dawned on me, from a legal perspective, who defends these alleged perps in court? Is it done pro bono? Is it legal aid? How does that work? Okay, so anybody who's accused of a criminal offense, if they can afford a lawyer, then they have to hire a lawyer or they represent themselves. If they are below a threshold of income, uh, then they can apply to legal aid uh, to be publicly funded through legal aid, and they can retain a lawyer who accepts legal aid certificates. It is exceptionally rare in any of these types of cases where anybody would take it on pro bono because these are involved cases, 
And, uh, you know, law is a business, and if they want to be defended, they're going to have to pay a lawyer or get an appropriate legal aid certificate. And legal aid is only given out for those who truly are of modest uh, to, you know, really poverty-level means. And the budget for legal aid is really very, very strained. All right. And so how about some of the victims uh, in these cases? You know, they're wounded. Uh, should they sue civilly? I mean, if they, you know, maybe loss of employment, uh, they might have lost uh, an appendage or something like that in a drive-by shooting. Can they sue civilly? Well, you know, that's the sad thing. So you, they can apply to the Criminal Compensation Board for some type of compensation, but it's minimal compared to what they may be suffering. There is funding and assistance that's given through the victim services uh, department where, you know, the victim fine surcharge is supposed to go into a big pool where there's all sorts of uh, services available. But the problem is if you're dealing with uh, a defendant or an accused who is uh, of no means, don't have any assets, suing them will, will get you absolutely nowhere. And so those people are often left to deal with tremendous injuries and lasting effects with respect to family and employment and trauma. And there is, uh, in many cases, uh, little ability to address that in some financial way that's meaningful. Unbelievable. Finally, do you think the criminal code is tough enough on gun crime? Look, you're speaking to a criminal defense lawyer, so it is, and I see the sentences which are handed out. So it's, you know, judges are handing out serious sentences for, for gun offenses, and you see people getting 25 years for shootings, which are short of a murder. And so it's not uncommon uh, for an individual who may be engaged in a, in a particular targeted shooting and nobody's killed but several people are injured so they could be convicted of multiple counts of attempt murder uh, and they will receive very significant sentences and, and sentences are being handed out which are 25 years so it's not insignificant. The problem is when people are committing these crimes they're not thinking about the sentence that they're going to get. That's the real issue is how do we get at the root of the, the crimes themselves and try and detect and apprehend before people get injured. All right. Well, Joe, I'll let you go on that note. Uh, pretty comprehensive stuff. Just wanted to run through the legal gambit of things that uh, had sort of surfaced in the last couple of days. Interesting story, that one of not, not holding a handrail and being ticketed, going right to the Supreme Court. Right, no. You've addressed <laughs> it, and I appreciate you putting it into the proper perspective, as always. Uh, For you, always a pleasure, John. Thank you. Likewise, Joseph, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Have a great show. Thank Bye. you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert from Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.